throughout our life, we make all kinds of connections. From our neighbors to our co-workers, from family members to people we interact with in business every day. What about the connections we make to ourself? Today, we'll explore the connections that we make and how they define our lives. This is Things Worth Considering with hosts Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill. It's time to listen and learn. Hi, this is Gord Riddell. I'm here with uh, Jan Hill, and this is Things Worth Considering. Last week on our show, we talked about stress. Not that we've ever had problems with that, but I'm sure that uh, you might know somebody who experienced stress. We also believe it's such a large topic that we need to go further with that. Uh, We want to, uh, on this show, we want to look at ways that we can help ourselves. Uh, We didn't get very far to address that last week, and we feel that we want to be able to do that. I just want to remind people that, you know, if you are suffering from symptoms of stress or anxiety, that uh, our show is not a, a compensation or a replacement for a visit to your own uh, family doctor. So uh, medical advice may be necessary for you um, and not to rely on the show for that. So moving forward, um, you know, how are you, Jan? I'm great. Yeah, it's a good week. Oh, it was a good week. I mean, busy week, but. It's a warming I, up week. I feel week. like I always say the same thing. Yeah. Good and busy. I've been busy. But I'm looking forward to being not so busy. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, let me know a year. Yeah, I don't Um, know when that's going to happen. Speaking of tension tension and stress, (laughs) (laughs) so uh, tension is inevitable. You know, we we have all kinds of of stressors, tension in our life, but anxiety is not necessary. Um, And we can produce anxiety, which can become quite debilitating if we do not you know, keep an awareness about what we're feeling as stress and identifying what makes us tense. Um, one of the one of the key ways that often people really get to know tension is through their bodies. Yeah. Because a lot of people, if you say, what are you feeling? They're like, fine. Yeah. Or I think. Uh, and have absolutely no idea in terms of what they're actually feeling. So, you know, one of the ways when I'm working with people who have, you know, not a large vocabulary around or awareness around feelings is is what in your body is telling you. What does that feel like? Yeah. You know? There's um, lots of ways to feel stress. How do you feel stress? Uh, my stomach. Ah, yeah. My stomach. I've had butterflies since I was, I think, three. <laughs> 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 they finally calmed down. I think they all died. Yeah. But uh, that, that's always been. they were once larvae. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> that's disgusting. Yeah, um, gross. It, uh, now I can't talk. Um yeah. The uh, the butterfly thing that was always the biggest one for me mm. with butterflies yeah, yeah. Uh, and then of course breaking out a sweat after that yeah I used to get headaches and puke oh I was like a famous puker oh at least I had yeah. butterflies they're prettier yeah that's true <laughs> that's true that's and your people could have, we could have shared them yeah the um no I used to get I still I, you know I hardly ever get headaches but I guess if I do it's usually always stress related. Yeah, right. I think I think most of us are like that. I think that. it's very common. You know, touch wood. I'm really lucky. I, I do not suffer from headache problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at all, uh, never have, which is great. I have some clients. Their hands go numb. I have a client whose teeth go numb. Wow. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many so many things like you know, people's hands are they don't feel them or else they, they just become like sopping wet. Yeah. Uh, or people break out in sweats. There's yeah. there. I mean, the standard ones, of course, is our blood pressure goes up, our respiratory becomes more shallow, our heart rate increases. Yeah. Those are standard, you know, stressors uh, uh, related. But you know, unless you're you know in a hospital or or have access to that kind of equipment, you're not going to necessarily know that. We just get so used to it. Mm-hmm. And that's really what we're wanting to look at is is that when when our stress 
uh, certainly our elevated stress, the bad stress, becomes the norm that we then begin to lose the signals. And as it becomes the norm, we go more and more unconscious. And that's where we get into a dangerous area because stress, to reemphasize, is really a very dangerous thing for us. Mm-hmm. You know, especially as we age. Yeah, especially when we become adapted. Well, to well that's what I've read, anyways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yes, when we become adapted to it, that's definitely that's definitely a problem. Anything that we adapt to, and we have established a new norm, then we're definitely in trouble. Yeah, for sure. Definitely in trouble. It's where we go unconscious. So you know, what what kind of things make you tense? What what makes or me your tense? clients that you you work with? Uh, huh. Um. Money. Yeah, what, money makes people stressful out for sure, yeah. right? It's everybody's always stressing about money. Even people who have money stress out about money because I think if oh. you have a lot of money, then you will be stressed out about losing your money. Yeah, right? the more you have, the more you you stand to lose. Yeah. And interestingly enough, when they look at uh, happiness, uh, uh, national happiness scales, some of the poorest countries on the planet have the highest uh, rates of happiness, highest self-reported levels of happiness. So this idea Please. that you know money relieve stress and makes you happy and all that kind of stuff is, you know, questionable. It kind of just buys you another whole set of problems. Mm. You know, it does make it, it does not make the world get uh, less, less tense or, or you happier. Mm-hmm. It's just another set uh, of different kinds of problems. Right. So positive, I don't know what they would be quite honestly. But right. Well, yeah. I'll, but, I'll try it for a day. Yeah. Which Prada yeah. shoes to buy or something. But like, you know, <laughs> uh, if you're actually really impoverished okay yes. that's, that is actually very stressful right uh, so absolutely not to say that uh, that's especially if you have children life. yeah but um the research indicates that if you are making basically your subsistence living and you have a little bit of extra to you know to make yourself uh to, to buy some things that you want to buy for your kids or to make yourself feel a little better today then uh you're not going to um experience uh any more um, like if you have more than that, you won't really experience increased happiness related to wealth. No, right? no, no. That's that. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, what else? Um, I think a lot of people have career stress, whether it's actually happening in the workplace, so it's workplace stress, or they're actually worried about what kind of career they're going to have, how they're going to maintain their career, their work-life balance, that kind of thing. Right? Yeah, getting a job. Yeah, getting a job that they Keeping they've trained job. for, studied for. Yeah, and keeping yeah. it, moving up the ranks. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we have actually, interestingly, uh, being in Toronto, we have huge openings in Toronto. They're all entry level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet, so where the universities, you know, people who have actually trained is they don't want to start at that level. Mm-hmm. And that's also another issue mm-hmm. uh, is, uh, you know, reception or, you know, admin assistance, like in terms of office work or whatever, is we can't even find people to fill those positions. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, you know, there's tons and tons of very, very educated people in the city. Well, that also fits into sort of unrealistic life expectations, right? So, which is also a, a source of stress. Yes. Because, you know, it's, it's you can watch, I think we watch too much TV and we get a kind of a warped perception. Very. Of, of what life perception. is like. And all those kinds of things, right? And so what happens is we go off into the workplace, and I know there was a study that was recently done. I can't think of who it was, but um, off the top of my head, I can get back to you on that. But the uh, the average amount of money that uh, a student with a four-year degree thought they were going to make when they stepped into their first year of working was $80,000. <laughs> yeah. It was like, really? boom. You know? Wow. I know. Yeah. Reality check here. Yeah. 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 
So, uh, I think a lot of people get a lot of reality checks on a few things, yeah. but that's not going to happen. Right. So, you know, there's, there's, and part and parcel of that is being on time for life events. There's also great stressors in people's lives when they think about their lifespan and what it is they're supposed to be accomplishing at a particular time in life. And, uh, and they're not doing that. So if you're not getting married when all your friends are married, if you're not having babies when all your friends are having, if you're not getting divorced when all your friends are getting divorced, if you're not uh, starting your career when all your friends are starting their career or finishing your degree or, you know, moving out or buying a car or whatever, yeah. retiring. Did I say retiring? You mean you're not married yet? <laughs> Is that, like all those things, right? It's like it causes a lot of stress. So Absolutely. being on time for life events. Yep. Uh, whatever that timing is. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I, I've had people sit there in great distress mm-hmm. and say that this isn't how my life is supposed to be. Yeah. And it's like, wow, that doesn't even put you in your own life. Right. You know, it's like looking, it's like observing something, like watching a movie. Uh, you, you know, uh, dialectical behavior therapy, DBT, uh, does a, a you know a piece called radical acceptance, mm-hmm. and it's like you know forget what it's supposed to be. This is what your life is. You're not earning eighty thousand dollars. You have a student loan. You're you know you're hanging on for this imaginary mm-hmm. eighty thousand, and and getting married and having children is not really a good idea right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just having to do like a brutal reality check that says, so you can get something for thirty thousand. Well, uh, is this a problem? Well, you know, I mean, the ego is so involved in that, and it just causes so much stress. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, too, right? This idea of being on time for life events is is actually changing. It's generational in a way. So what life events you are expected to be on time for is uh, sort of contingent on your cohort. So I was just reading the other day where uh, millennials now are, they're not expecting ever to really have children. They're not expecting to ever own a house. They're not expecting these things in their lives. And in fact, many of them are not even really expecting to be around. In, then why in are they so stressed? Years because, <laughs> uh, because they're dealing with, we'll talk about this later, an apocalyptic we, they live in an, apoc- in an, apoc- in an yeah, apocalyptic yeah. world, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if uh, if you're not going to die from uh, um, climate change and the various issues around that, you know, I, I do have clients, certainly younger clients who are, are sh- you know, what's the point of buying a house, right. right? And even if you were to buy a house, you have to make sure it's, you know, not on the grassland somewhere because that's going to burn down. And it's <laughs> not uh, in a forest somewhere because all the trees are dying anyway or they're going to be logged. And it's not near the water because of the rising water levels. That's oh, stressful. It is. It is. I mean, it's really they've, they, they've shown, you know, the, the Florida coastline is, mm. you know, it's going to be going under by 2050. It's, mm-hmm. uh, I forget how, how high it's going to rise. It's like 10 meters or something. But mm-hmm. And that's in a ridiculous amount. Mm-hmm. Totally ridiculous. Yeah. Amount. So yeah. there really are very scary things out there that that people are responding to. Yeah. Um, other things, other uh, places where we see tension, of course, is it, within in times of emotional upheaval, like divorce, like separation, like death. How about relationships? Period. Yeah, relationships. Totally. How about getting sorts. married? Forget divorce. What about getting married? Yeah, all sorts of relationships. Yeah, absolutely. No. Uh, I just know people have difficulties not only with intimate like love relationships but just even with their friends mm-hmm. their siblings their um, people seem to be you know as as we become more and more stressed i mean a standard uh, uh behavior that we and emotion that we have is irritability mm-hmm. everybody just pisses us off mm-hmm. and so you know we just got to push back from people mm-hmm. and uh when we do have that 
few moments by ourselves. We want it by ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, because otherwise we're firing people out of out of the water just because we're so irritated. Right, right. And don't realize it. Right. Yeah, and yeah. don't even realize it. I think so. What often happens too is when you are, you know, pressed for time in your daily life, one more thing that somebody asks you to do, even if it's just sort of an innocent little email of, uh, hey, can I get the information on whatever, is enough to tip you over the edge, right? I've never had that, but I've heard. (laughs) Sorry, Linda. Uh, (laughs) Public apology. Uh, Yeah, it just feels like, yeah, one more thing. And it's, it's, it's innocuous. It doesn't, the world is not going to revolve around whether that yeah. gets done in three minutes or not. It feels like it needs to be done in a minute and a half. But that's kind of the effect, the relational nature of stress. If person A is under stress and person B is under stress and they've got different stressors and person A asking you for something, that solves their stress, but it just ramps up yours. Right. You know what I mean? Where if person A didn't ask you, then it would actually diminish your stress. You know what I mean? Then there's 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 a challenge there. There's something that's that's not quite simpatico about that. And usually it, it never is. No, of course. No, at least I haven't found a way to make yeah. it that way. Welcome to I'm the trying. Real world, right? Exactly. Exactly. What about existential stuff? Oh yeah. Given that you're, you know, we're talking like some of this stuff. Oh, that's the whole spiritual piece, right? Uh, searching it's for a big meaning piece. in life, searching for uh, the learnings behind the things that happen to us. Yeah. You know, searching for what happens. I mean, what do you, you know, what's a millennial who thinks that, you know, apocalyptically, you know, it's coming to an end. They're not going to have children they're not doing mm-hmm. to, to do this or that. That's a that's a, an enormous spiritual mm-hmm. piece. Yeah, for sure. Is that like they're buying into that piece and they're not finding meaning that says they need to do that. Right. You know, uh, you know, whether whether the entire world was to end or not, you know, the day after I got married. Mm-hmm. That's the way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So is my marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, all of all of those things. You know, I think that uh, I think we rob ourselves, whether it's for a day or whether it's for you know a, a huge century or whatever, um, by by putting off because we think something bad's going to happen. Right, and I think you know it's interesting because there's this fine line between living for the future mm-hmm. and planning for the future and living in the moment. Yes, you know. Yes. And and then and also being caught up in the moment so that you you Don't just plan for the indulge future. yourself, right? Right, right, so. right. I mean that that can certainly happen if if you know I'm so convinced it's going to like you know everything's going to hell in a handbasket. Then mm-hmm. uh, why would I why would I put money away? Why would I you know, prepare for my old age and mm-hmm. you know re- pensions and retirement funds and all that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. You no, know, that's a very dangerous uh, uh, mentality to have. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. but you know. I, I, it's certainly been around. I think it's much more societally based, uh, but there's always been, you know, like from the in the 1850s, sort of give it 40, give it 1860, there was a huge uh, uh, rise in spiritual consciousness in North America and in England, uh, most of the English speaking world, mm-hmm. you know, and out of that gave birth to a number of religions, uh, such as Christian science, Mary Becker Eddy, uh, Theosophy, um, uh, the Jehovah's Witness. Uh, uh, all of which survive well into it, and there are they are all they're end of world believing religions in a way, and spiritualism, of course, which doesn't believe that, um, is is also giving birth at around the same time. Now, out of that, you know, there's always been rumors that they've set a date. A couple of those religions, mm-hmm. it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, my mother tells a story, or told a story of, you know, she had this big piggy bank full of money. 
of change that she'd saved up for like a long time. And somebody convinced her that the world was about to end. And so she broke it open and she went and she bought all the candy she could, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is just kind of cute. <laughs> However, on that note, um, I think uh, buying candy sounds like a good idea at this point because we're going to take a break. Um, and we'll be back on the other side of these commercials. And we hope you'll join us again. We'll be right back. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world. And that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. Become a member of voiceamerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Vidal and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back. Um, I'm Gordon Dell, and I'm here with Jan Hill, and we are talking about things like stress and tension and anxiety. Um, so we've been talking about, uh, in the first part, of things that get under our skin, for lack of a better word. Uh, I'm wondering, you know, the brain, though, is really what's responsible here. Uh, how we think and how we take on other people's thoughts, they become our thoughts. Um, you know, but what the brain can also possibly do is to be able to give us creative solutions. Uh, a lot of people do do uh, uh, historical problem solving. In oh, other yeah. words, when something, something comes up, well, this is the way we always did it, and I'm going to do it again this time. Mm-hmm. All right? Not very creative. Mm-hmm. And, of course, if that's the way you've always done it, and now we're back here again, then it's calling for another, another solution. All right? Because if you come up with a really good solution to things, it moves you forward. Right. So that's why it's creative, right? Is that uh, that the inevitability of stress 
pushes us to recognize where something is limited. Yep. And then, you know, we try to do it the same old, same old. It doesn't work, doesn't solve the issue. So then we go, hmm, how could I do this differently? Exactly. Hopefully. Well, how could I re-exert my control on it? Exactly. <laughs> or There's hmm, no control issues just, in anything in anyone's lives. Yeah, maybe I'll just go back to bed and pull the covers over my head. I love that idea. Mm. And it's raining, so it's mm-hmm. great, great it's time perfect. to do it. Yeah. But it's actually a brain thing, right? It is a brain thing. Yeah, so it why don't you tell thing. us about the brain well, thing? Well, it's a brain thing, but it's also, you know, uh, some really important, you know, glands that uh, take place in our bodies, you know. So uh, the uh, it's called the amygdala hijack. So if we remember that the amygdala is uh, that part of us that takes over when we move into habitual behavior, that's what allows us when we're driving, for instance, to drive, look, observe, talk, have the radio on, chew gum, and probably smoke a cigarette while hanging out the window. And you'll probably arrive safely. Uh, that's a lot of things to do because so many of those things are simply, uh, they're repetitive. They're highly, highly repetitive. So the brain takes in brand new information at the uh, prefrontal cortex. It processes that. When it realizes that you're doing this over and over and over again, it says, well, I'm not doing this anymore. And it hands it back into this part of the brain. Right. The, it's the, the with, people refer to it as reptilian, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but it's the oldest part of our brain, the limbic system. Mm-hmm. So once it's back there, though, um, it, it's really it really is in control because right? it does control the parasympathetic nervous system, which allows us to keep breathing and, you know, sweating and digesting food and everything without having to actually think about it. Now, what happens, though, is, is that it is it, if we are completely repetitive in our, our anxiety intentions. And we're feeling the same thing over and over and over again without looking at it. It will, it will, it will just simply hijack, and we'll just go into this tension all the time. But it's also fired off our pituitary, which has fired off the the uh, hypothalamus, which is a memory center, and then it fires off all the way down to our kidneys, where the adrenal glands are sitting over top of our kidneys. And so you have this firing back and forth between you know sort of the back part of your brain, the stem area down to the adrenals and back up again. And, you know, that has now totally prepared you from a memory which came out of your hypothalamus. And now you're totally prepared with adrenaline for your fight flight. Right. So you're fleeing or you're fighting or you're crashing to the ground and shaking or whatever it is. You're doing that out of uh, sort of inspired by a past experience. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Because that's that's what got fired off. I mean, the the uh, uh, the you know, the, the, hypo, the hypothalamus is is very much involved with with uh, memory mm-hmm. and a memory of what we've done in our life, you know, uh, both short and long term. Uh, once it's fired off, then it's fire. And, you know, it, and the amygdala is going, whoa, just a minute. We think we've got problems here. Um, then it needs the adrenals to go. If the adrenal glands keep firing off. That could pose some very serious health health problems, mm-hmm. you know, down the road. Burned out. They'll, they'll just totally burn out. Totally yeah. burn out. Uh, you know, if you think of it, when you suddenly get really scared and you have to go to the bathroom, mm-hmm. you have to suddenly, you know, you want to pee, it's like, boom, your whole your whole pelvis has just been flooded with adrenaline as it's being absorbed up into the your muscle and everything to, to run. Of course, you want to go to the bathroom right away. Adrenaline mm-hmm. is so powerful, mm-hmm. you know, but it, it also wears us out. Yeah, to live in a continued scent, a state of, you know, fight or flight, that heightened, heightened sense, that's what's dangerous because our heart has increased, our blood pressure has increased, our respiratory has become less. And, you know, that that's when we can have a stroke. That's when we can have a heart attack. Mm-hmm. 
is that child is way more consistently going in and out of that state. Mm-hmm. So um, what I'm hearing you say then is that state is actually very much a normal response. So it's normal, I hate that word, but let's use it to have hesitations and concerns and to perhaps wonder about things, right? Yes. And I mean, even to have a physiological, you know, got to go talk in public or something. So ooh, I'm nervous, I'm nervous. Yeah. That's totally normal. And Oh, that's absolutely normal. We're supposed to be scared. Right. You know, so now remember, you know, our brain, I, I want us to walk away from this saying our brain is our best friend. Okay. Yeah, right? Because it makes us nervous. It gives us this response, this energy that we can use to give ourselves presence. What it's doing is it's nervous because we've never done this before. It Mm -hmm. doesn't have anything repetitive. And our brain loves repetition. Our brain loves habits, habitual behaviors, thoughts. It knows what to do. It goes on automatic pilot. So it's looking out for us because it's it's concerned that we might humiliate ourselves. Mm-hmm. We may, you know, make make uh, uh, an error or something. So, by heightening our sense of or our state of, you know, high alert, we're going to be much more focused. We're going to be on guard. We're going to make sure that this goes smoothly. Right. And that's what and that's what the brain is doing, basically. You know, I think it's kind of this willing servant that, mm-hmm. even though we, it once it goes into that, though, again, that's that crossover between looking out for me and, you know, not allowing me to even think because this takes over every time. Or not allowing you to actually try something new because we stop and Absolutely. go, oh, this anxiety is an indicator that I shouldn't be doing this. Instead of saying, oh, this anxiety is like totally, totally part of the function of trying something new and pushing myself to do something. Yes. And so that is actually the amygdala hijack. When you let what's going on in the amygdala actually determine and influence your behavior when you when you back away from something new because you go anxiety's here oh my god right and so what you did was you you just trained it sign that you're not supposed to be doing it and that means that you've your learning experience your new experience has just been hijacked by your amygdala but you also just taught your amygdala that if it cranks up your adrenaline your your overall stress reaction high enough you will back down yeah, sure. you have given your your body this this incredible message. If you push through it, they're like, "Oh, damn, they're working on this." All right, yeah. but if if you if you're like, oh, "I can't do this. I am not getting on that airplane. I just can't do it." Then the next time you try to get onto an airplane, it's going to be even bigger. Yeah. That whole stress response. Okay, so here's my question. Then, what's the relationship between your amygdala? Uh, hijacking you, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, in determining your behavior and uh, stopping behaviors from new behaviors from happening, and the um, and and what happens with burnout? Because in burnout, you become adapted. Oh, I think I'm answering my own question. In burnout, you become <laughs> adapted, right? Well, that's good. It was too hard for me. Okay, there we go. Right, <laughs> and it's, yeah. So in burnout, you become adapted. Yes. Yep, right, totally. so your brain normalizes around that that actual high level of anxiety. Yeah. Right, and and then you burn out. Yeah, totally, right? because you cannot sustain that level yeah. of hormones in your body. So how do you know the difference then? How do you actually know the difference? Because I know people out there are wondering this question. How do I know the difference between when I'm actually feeling anxiety that is like stay away, stay away anxiety that is true and real, danger, danger, versus the kind of anxiety that you feel when you're trying something new and it's going to likely be okay. But, but maybe, maybe I want to change your language. Is okay. that's not anxiety. 
Uh-huh. Anxiety is the stay away, stay away. You know, this is really this is dumb. Don't do not even think of doing this. Okay. You know, it's like life threatening or whatever. Uh, uh, whereas to be doing something for the very first time and feeling tension, feeling a little bit of stress, so you're a little sweaty, maybe your stomach's a little upset, you know, uh, whatever is a very different reaction than when you have a full amygdala hijack taking place. Okay. Interesting. Because it's much more, I mean, it's, you know, uh, I think anyone who's had that happen knows like it's intense when you have the hijack situation taking place. Whereas, you know, most of us can push through doing a presentation for the company or having to say something at someone's wedding or someone's funeral mm. or, or whatever. We can push through that usually. Mm. All right. Uh, again, though, it comes back to what language are we using for ourselves? Oh, my God, I am just so anxious. Or as opposed to, you know, yeah, I'm a little nervous, but, you know, I'm breathing, which is probably the most important, you know, God-given stress-buster reducer that has ever existed Hmm. because we stop breathing. Our breathing gets shallower and shallower. So, okay, so so now as I'm listening to you speak, I'm thinking, okay, so really stress, when we think about the anxiety response, it's actually a process. Yes. Right. And stress is the piece or tension is the piece that comes in at the beginning of the process that invites alarm. Right. Right. What we do with that alarm is up to us. That's the consciousness piece. Are we going to choose to respond in fear or are we going to choose not to, to be conscious about our response to that? And so that would lead us to sort of a, a, a place of resistance. Yes. Right. We either resist the alarm or we embrace the alarm. Mm-hmm. Maybe we resist the stimulus outside or we embrace the stimulus outside. And then eventually that relationship becomes kind of, it becomes exhausted, right? What ends up happening is either we adapt to the new behavior or we run away. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If we keep choosing to run away, then we just keep reinforcing it. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. How we view the world, you know, there's a, um, a saying, uh, uh, Marianne Williamson has said it, and uh, Anthony DeMello, the Franciscan uh, yeah. uh, monk who wrote a wonderful, he wrote a book called Awakening. Um, and it's, there's two, only two places that we can come from. And even though we have all this vocabulary of language for, for uh, emotions and so on, there's really only two experiences. One is one of fear, mm-hmm. or we come from a place of love. Mm-hmm. And that is... Coming from a place of love accepts that at times, it's love isn't always about just, uh, it gets a little scared sometimes, but it's in a loving acceptance of that. Mm-hmm. When we go into fear, fear contracts us. Mm-hmm. It pulls mm-hmm. everything in close to us. When people are scared, you can tell who's scared mm-hmm. simply by are they giving any energy out? Mm-hmm. Because all that energy is being sucked into the center core of the individual. Look around. The next time you get on on a flight and people are lined up to get on, look around. You can see who's afraid and who's not afraid mm-hmm. by just simply, you know, uh, uh, observing them. And if you go anywhere near them, you'll feel they're not going to feel like they have any energy. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so you know, if if it's like I love being alive. I love what I do. I love the people that I work with. I love, you know, that's my headspace. Mm-hmm. It also says sometimes I get a little stress. Mm-hmm. But I have tools in order to be able to work with that if I choose to mm-hmm. use them. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, so I'm not in an anxious space. If I go into a fear place, this says, 
oh my God, this isn't happening, this hasn't happened, and this isn't happening, and I build this huge case, I am living in fear. And it's kicked love right out of the backseat. Right. So, you know, okay, so as a sociologist, I just want to, I have to say this. Okay. There's something, uh, like we live in a culture of fear. Yes. Right? Absolutely. And so the fear that we feel might not actually be the fear that is our own fear. It might be something like fear by proxy. You know, right? uh, Where we live whether it's sociologist, as a spiritual person, mm-hmm. you can put out enough fear energy that it will begin to affect me. You know, if people, if their if their energy centers are open and they're not, you know, control, I happen to be a big believer in, as you know, you get on the subway and someone's in a nasty space and you're standing near them and they're sitting down, you know, and they're just giving off this yucky energy. And now here you are getting off the subway at your stop and you're like, why do you, I feel like crap? I felt really good because you just sucked up this person's energy. Yeah. So and there not, are people that do that all the time. Yeah, and I'm not thinking about it in terms of just an interpersonal aspect, right, or the intrapersonal experience. Well, th- no, no, that's that's more mi- macro, micro, yeah. uh, on a macro. But if it's happening in a micro, you can be sure it's happening on a macro. Well, yeah, as a sociologist, I would say it happens at a macro level primarily, right? Because that's what actually. Yeah, feeds. you take a subway. You have a truck. Well, I know, but that's what actually feeds. There's a reason I have a truck, right? <laughs> so I don't have to take this over. But it feeds the the intrapersonal interpretation, right? Yes. If part of if part of the fear building process is around the actual stimulation of of the like the, our perception, how the stimulus affects our perception of things, and we live in a culture where the perception uh, is fear driven right, the world is a fearful place, then that fear is going to feel real to people. And I think that there's, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things that are, are facilitate this kind of fear driven culture. Sure. Right. Sure. And um, some of them are, uh, we associate behaviors with, uh, and the value of people. Mm-hmm. So we think about sexuality, sexual expression, right, and the categorical uh, construction of certain groups of people. Right. Exactly. Vis a vis morality and all that kind of stuff. Right. We think about poverty. We think about money and these things uh, in within a context of morality. Right. You know. Well, you know, here at Transformational Arts College, we just see people show up all the time that have allowed themselves to, you know, they they didn't get in on the ground floor to be able to snap up, you know, and begin to reverse some of the experience mm. of when tension has moved all the way through to like a massive anxiety disorder. And it's unfortunate for some, even just getting to class is a problem. On that note, well, I think we should go to break. Okay. All right. We'll be right back from Things Worth Considering. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, 
holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll-free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Vidal and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back. Um, We're talking about stress and tension and anxiety, but importantly, we're looking at ways that we actually have control over all of these things. So, Jan, we were just talking. I think we need to look at some strategies here. Okay. What's your strategy? Okay. I'm going home and getting into bed. (laughs) (laughs) I've got one for the the existential piece, really. And I think it's it's kind of like a, it's just a way of reframing how we think about things, right? Is it's the basic recognition that the human condition is about uncertainty. That uncertainty, that certainty itself is an illusion. And so uncertainty is actually just a fact of our daily lives. And I think isn't most of what we experience really an illusion? Well, yeah. I, it, sure. I mean, you know, going back to what I said earlier about someone that says, I'm supposed to. Yeah. It, this isn't the way it's supposed to look or yeah. it's supposed to be. But it is. Like, what is this supposed to be? We just, just create. We illusions. Actually, yeah. We just go and create the meaning that we want in our life, right? And that can be illusory, right? So what's the point of being here then if all we're doing is creating illusions? Well, well that's like existentialist. To play. It's to play. <laughs> it's to try really hard not to lapse into nihilism. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so anyway, if we recognize certainty as an illusion, um, then we can, it helps us get out of our chronic problem solving behavior, right? Because that's a lot of, a lot of our stress manifests as chronic problem solving behavior. And there are just some problems that A, can't be solved or B, if you just leave them alone, they'll solve themselves, right? Often, yeah. We don't need to. But we don't want to take the ostrich approach either, which a lot of people do. Right. As I always, you know, say that although your head may be co- totally covered in sand, your rear end is fully exposed. Yeah, but we don't need to solve every problem that comes along, right? If it truly is actually a problem, okay. And that also feeds into another uh, thing that another way of dealing with stress is to actually accept agency and accountability, right? And take responsibility for what? making changes. What? Being responsible? But, what are you talking about? Yeah, but it, <sighs> it's like... Some play, you have to know the difference, right? So yes. if we think about certainty as an illusion, then we can also think about, um, like, again, we go back to this idea of apocalyptic culture, right? Mm-hmm. Is that we live in a culture that that suggests that 
everything is sort of headed towards anarchy or chaos or everything is headed towards uh, destruction. And and so it invites us to intervene and to order things. And we don't always have to intervene and order things, right? There's also this idea of that relates to totalized thinking that things should be this way. Things are either this way or this way. And the reality is that things are neither A or B. Most of the time, what we experience is actually someplace in between A or B. Yeah. The world right? is gray. It's not black and white. That's right. Right. Yeah. So, and you know, most things are not extremely hot or extremely cold. They're just kind of in the middle. Just lukewarm, right? but yeah. edible. And our reality <laughs> is actually like that. But we live in a world that kind of privileges extremism in many ways, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the more extreme people are with their language, with their mm-hmm. presence, and uh, uh, politicians being right, the first thought through my head, you know, the more extreme their language yeah. is like. They're the ones that are getting all the attention. Yeah. They are the squeaky wheel. And there's, yep. And that kind of leads us to the sort of the second idea of practicing, uh, of how we can practice good strategies for dealing with stress is to actually meditate. Now, some people say, oh, meditation, I can't do that. My brain is too busy. So (laughs) you can just do things like, if you don't want to be a full blown meditator, then you can just take a moment to concentrate on your breathing to just think about the breath right mm-hmm. and actually it's not about controlling the breath it's just about noticing it mindfulness yeah exactly yeah. part and parcel of that too is this idea of establishing or creating green time in your life and green time basically means time in nature there's something that we call uh like there's a term by richard Louvre, um who wrote the book, The Last Child in the Woods, and it's he uses the term nature deficit disorder. So it's a sort of extreme sense of disconnection from the creative world around us and the, and the growing world around us and the world that is driven by cycles, right? Yeah, yeah. Not, where time isn't linear. It's just this cyclical nature of birth and death and birth and death. And, you know, and living in the middle kind of, of stuff, right? a big city, mm-hmm. you know, which, which the biggest majority of people on the planet do, mm-hmm. uh, you're just so cut off. Right. But you, you know? can, you don't have to, even if you don't have a tree in your yard to hug or there's not a park near you, you can just look up at the sky. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Watch, watch the clouds. You know, in fact, they physiologically, give you messages. If you look up in the sky and you hold your arms out in like what you think of as being the Christ crucifixion pose, right? Right. So with the hands one, up. Yeah. That yeah. invokes your parasympathetic nervous system. And yeah. then you will relax. And it puts you into a receptive place. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, people who meditate with their hands like down on their lap, you know, if they're sitting, mm-hmm. you know, are, are still very closed as opposed to putting putting your palm up uh, in your lap and sitting that way. We're much more receptive. And it's mm-hmm. letting the universe know we're open. Interesting. Uh, to receiving the energy is very different when you when you work that way. You know, oh. but you know, when, when we were talking, when you talked about breathing, I'm agreeing with everything you say, but that mindfulness is breathing deeply, you know, like, and just letting it out and bringing it in and, yeah, you know, seeing what's going out is, you know, sort of being gray or dark colors, what shouldn't be there, and you know, a nice light color or, you know, from gold to white to whatever, you yeah. know, just breathing and in. Part of the challenge with that, though, is when you're stressed out, people can't take a deep breath. Right. So they end up breathing from their upper chest, kind of moving their belly and thinking that they're actually breathing deeply. Right. right? But if you keep doing that, then you'll just kind of hyperventilate because you're actually just breathing from the, the top part of your chest. So it actually increases the stress. It's not about yeah, it's not about uh, increasing the number of breaths. It's about increasing the depth. Right. If you keep working at it, people will be able yeah. to, you know, 
they have to be able to relax the chest. Right. But I think it's important. Both feet on the floor. Right. But I think it's important for listeners to, for our listeners to actually acknowledge and understand that it, that sometimes it means learning to breathe again. Yes. Right. Yeah. If they ever learn how to do it right in the first place. Yeah. Well, you know, people who've done, you know, vocal training are usually the ones, whether it's for actually singing or it's for, for uh, their voice for theater, uh, you know, they're the ones that usually have the best mm-hmm. uh, best approach to, uh, and, and athletes, of course, uh, mm-hmm. to, to breathing properly. Whereas, you know, the rest of us are just kind of like, yeah, breathing at the very top of our lungs. Yeah, you know? exactly. Uh, the green thing, absolutely. There, there's a whole thing of bathing in the woods. Yeah, uh, there's kind of yeah. a big thing in Japan. Yeah. Uh, which, is, it just sounds like, you know, it's so cool. Cause I love, the two places I always need to go to if I'm really, really needing to chill, I need to go by the ocean. I need, for some reason, that salt, mm-hmm. uh, whatever's in the air, you know, mm-hmm. that comes from the waves and so on, uh, or actually going in the water if it's warm enough. Uh, the other thing is to go into into the woods. You know, uh, I don't hug trees, but I'm sure I sure do love to just sit under them and just observe them. You yeah. know, that's that's just so important to me. Yeah, um, yeah the uh, exercise. Yep. Oh, my God. That's the first, well, it's got to be the, one of the first things we do when we're breathing is yeah. go for a walk, you know, yeah. don't get caught up in the whole thing that you've got to put out all this money and go to a gym and buy new clothes and that's all crap. Take go five a times a week walk. and all that. Yeah. yeah take a walk. A, yeah. Cause it's as simple. It can be just as simple. It's really about moving. It can be just as simple as sitting at your desk and shaking your hands out, right? Yep. Shaking your feet out. Going on your taking your shoes off and going on your tiptoes and putting your feet down and tiptoes putting your feet. I got threatened to be thrown out of the office last time I did that. Wow! I was up and down, up and down because you were wearing those shaking my hands. I was on my tiptoes and they thought, "What is he doing?" Yeah, yeah, exactly (laughs) right. Um, Laughing. Oh my god! Great way to exercise. Yes, that and music. Yeah. Yes, but laughter, laughter for me is I would not be here today had I not had the gift of my parents. Mm -hmm. Laughter. You know, absolutely. That's cool. Yeah, my dad especially. Yeah, yeah. and there's a whole uh, there's a whole thing called uh, laughing meditation, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I've never been to one, but I've seen them. I've, I've seen, seen one. They're they're really fun. Yeah. Yeah. They're they hilarious. Like cool. Yeah. 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 Uh, the, the, one of the things I really enjoy on Sunday mornings in one of the big parks in Toronto, in High Park, uh, is not High High Park, uh, is uh, a drumming circle. Oh, yeah, that's fine. And more and more and more people come, you know, yeah. if you get there around 1030 and people start the rhythm or, you know, get the thing mm-hmm. going. And then people are, at 1130 are still arriving, you know, this it's, it's like 200 drums oh, and yeah, it gets awesome. going and it's awesome. It yeah. is just like this that pulls you in. You can't even the rest of the day. You're just on such a high. You can't even think that you would have any tension in this world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like going to church. It's outdoors, and it's a, in the summer. It's beautiful, and it's in the middle of this gorgeous park, surrounded by trees. Yeah. yeah. There's a guy at McGill University. He's a super famous guy named uh, Daniel Levitin, and he is uh, a music psychologist. I guess you call him a music psychologist. Yeah. But he uh, studies. He does neuroscience around the brain and the brain's response to music, and so he uh, has actually identified various patterns in music that actually relax the brain or stimulate the brain. And so a lot of his work, if you're interested in reading his stuff, um, I think his book is called The Buddha's Brain. Okay. Something like that. Anyway, I, I, I hope I haven't got that wrong. <laughs> but anyway, I might have got that wrong. But anyway. That's two today. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> uh, this is what happens when you're tired. And um, so what happens, like he basically describes how the brain, how you can actually 
purposefully introduce certain kinds of musical rhythms to the brain that are designed to actually uh, uh, restore it. Yes. And, um, well, we have the course here at the college. The yeah, healing, sound you know, healing. The healing power of sound. Yeah. Uh, and I, I know you've taken it. And yes. it's just an awesome, awesome exposure to, to those kinds of things. Yeah. You know, uh, creating rhythm and all the different uh, instruments. And we're not talking about snare drums going here. Uh, we're talking about... Uh, some of the more tribal, some of the earlier instruments that, uh, from rattles through to a didgeridoo uh, out of uh, Australia. That's cool. And you know what his book's called? This is your brain on music. Duh. <laughs> but it's close to Buddha. It's close. How did I do that? That's this is your weird. brain on music. I love it. Yeah. As opposed is- to this is your brain on drugs. I know. Like, I'm just <laughs> mortified. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> You know what? He'll call shortly and he'll forgive you. It's okay. It don't get tired. Don't, don't stress out about it. Okay. More strategies. And again, this fits into this idea. Take action where you can, right? Yeah. Actually, agency overcomes overwhelm. So when you feel like, oh, my God, I'm just overwhelmed. I can't take this. Then you break things down into the tiniest little tasks. Yes. And again, your brain likes repetition, right? So if you break things down into tiny little tasks, you're taking sort of a, a bigger maybe a social problem or an issue or something gigantically organizationally overwhelming and you're just breaking it down into something small. So, you know, you just don't have to, you don't even have to think about the big dinner party. You can just cut the celery. I'm cutting the celery sticks (laughs) right now, right? I'm, you know, cutting the tomatoes. I'm doing that. And so it's, it's partly, this is about recognizing too where it is, like what is the real nature of the problem? Because we'll spend an awful lot of time solving problems that are actually tangential to what the real problem is. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yes. Like, this is not the problem. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, one of the big things is the real problem is our reaction to what we deem to be a problem. Yeah. That's what's causing all the stress. It's our problem. reaction. It's our interpretation. It's our perception. It, it, you know, you are exposed to exactly the same thing as I am. And you're like, ah, mm-hmm. and I'm like, what's the issue here? Mm-hmm. And that's that's totally normal, totally normal, is that people perceive stress differently. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. however, you know, there's all kinds of reasons for that, obviously. But, the, you know, the, the most important part is that, uh, you know, just because you're feeling stressed and someone else isn't doesn't make you wrong. Mm-hmm. But what it can do is show you there's a possibility that you could do it differently. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think one of the other other exercises that if people are really interested, it comes out of, you know, CBT, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, is writing down when you start getting into negative thoughts. Oh, yeah, for sure. Write, write it down and get a sense of, you know, when they, they play, what triggered them to be played, those kinds of things. Because then you actually have something in front of you that that's solid that says, this these are the things I start to think about when I go into one of my spiral outs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can begin to change them. So as mm-hmm. soon as you begin to go, oh, this is really, oh, this is great. You know, oh, I want to mm-hmm. take this into learning. Uh, catch ourselves and, and veer ourselves off into a, a different direction on mm-hmm. that. And gradually that will become a new norm for us. Yeah. And this is, I think that this all fits into this idea too about um, not judging yourself, right? Because sometimes what will happen is we'll judge our own response to things. We'll judge our stress. We'll judge what it is we think we should be doing. And how do you? But Anna, is that not our? That's our experience growing up is being judged. For sure, right? So we just do it ourselves. But there's uh, <laughs> Heidi Hannah's work. Uh, suggests, in fact, that the way around this is to just stay curious. So what I hear in what you're saying, 
um, about the uh, CBT connection is basically to stay curious about your own responses. If yeah. you stay curious, you can refocus uh, from the judgment around anxiety to something that is more um, explorational, yes. something more exploratory around things. Somebody right? has choice. Yeah. Fear doesn't. Fear takes away our choices. Yeah. Anxiety takes away our choices. And curiosity can take yeah. away our fear. And yet that's one of the things that has been taught throughout the history of mankind and humankind is the fact that what separates us is our ability to have choice. Yeah. But we have to be able to create a space for that. What doesn't help us, laying there watching TV, watching Netflix, oversleeping, like 12, 14, 18 hours a day, in a day. Oh, I love that. You know, comfort eating is not good for us. Uh, getting involved in other people's dramas to distract. is really not good for us at all. Uh, those are the worst strategies. Everything else we told you today are really good things. You yeah. Know? But you bring up an important part, and I think we're, we should take a look at that next week, is the whole thing of being shamed. Shaming yeah. ourselves, you know, body shame. Yeah, let's I talk think about that we're on to something for next week. Sounds good. Yes, because we're coming up to the end of our show, unfortunately. Uh, but we thank you for listening. We hope we gave you some great ideas uh, of things that you have control of, uh, because sometimes stress makes us feel out of control. And you are in control. It's up to you if you take that choice or not. Mm-hmm. And we will be back next week. It will be Easter week. Starting of into starting into Easter weekend, actually, mm-hmm. I expect chocolate to be here. Mm-hmm. Uh, chocolate bunnies, <laughs> yeah, chocolate bunnies, absolutely. And uh, we wish you all a uh, very happy week, a great week, a stress-free week, and we will see you back here. Bye bye. Bye now. Thank you for tuning into Things Worth Considering. Please join your hosts, Dr. Jan Hill and Gord Riddell, for another edition next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, think about the connections in your life and how they define who you are.